Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is, this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first-generation professionals. The other reality? Most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter The Access Point a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point, airing every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard on livingcorporate.tv. What's up, y'all? This is Zach with Living Corporate, and ooh, you know it's interesting, right? Like the pandemic, or Panorama, or Pangea, or Pandora, Pythagoras, or Plethora, or um, you know, Panoply, Panoply, Prius, Pyramid. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it's had a it's bevy of challenges, of course. I will say there's been some silver linings for me. One is I get to be a house husband and spend a lot of time with Emery. And my wife, right, as a consultant before I was traveling, getting up at four o'clock in the morning to fly to Kalamazoo to sit in a very, very gray room and do something I could have done at home. And um, I'm thankful that this time has allowed me space to be home and spend time with my family. So that's one silver lining. Another silver lining um, is directly related to this show. And it has to do with the fact that because I'm able to be at home. And I never was a person that really traveled with my mic like that. Like I would just record content in bulk and our content historically has never really been like too topical or even like, you know, maybe loosely related to current events, but not really because we were just focused on like themes and ideas. And we're still, of course, like largely focused on that. But again, a consequence of being at home, spending time with my family, hanging out with Emery, hanging out with Candace is I also get to like check out current events and speak to them. And so that's what's going on. Like, I want to talk a little bit about this incredible. And I mean, honestly, from like a production perspective, just like if I was a producer, I am a producer. But if I was a producer for CBS, I would just be like just on the edge. Of my, I'm just I'd be so pleased with myself that Meghan Markle, Oprah, Harry interview. Whew, that thing was heat, y'all. It was heat. I have never been so enthralled. Uh, like for real. And, you know, I say this as a, uh, a cishet black dude who stereotypically, uh, you know, I don't really keep up with the Royals. I don't even know. I'll be honest, I don't mean, I don't, I need like a chart. Like, I don't know who these people are, but I found the content so compelling and triggering uh, for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that I noticed in not only the interview, but also like the response to the interview and the way that folks engaged and talked about Megan, talked about the royal family, so on and so forth. So I got a couple little points here. All right. So I'm going to get started. And it all ties into the guests that we have. So just rock with me. All right. So the first thing is, is that um, a fetishization of British royalty is a fetishization of white supremacy. So do y'all remember when Megan, Markle, like 
was getting married and everybody was like we have our princess oh man we got somebody that's us she's in there talking about she gonna have a hot comb because she represents us and like folks were really excited and i just you know part of it is male privilege like i didn't see it that way i wasn't really enthralled but then we also see like a bunch of shows right that like people just love like the idea of British culture and like royalty and being princesses and kings and queens and stuff like that. But the reality is, is that all that stuff that you're looking at and that you're praising or that you you're yearning after is on the backs or exploit, you know, through the labor, murder and colonization of black and brown societies. Right. Like when you look at the opulent wealth And just the land and all the resources that uh, the British Empire has, it's a direct consequence of imperialism. And it's founded upon white supremacy, this idea that that it's it's owed to them. Right. They, They have a right to plunder and steal. Right. And take by any means necessary. And yet. That's something that we we gravitate to. And it's interesting because we're only really having this conversation about this moment and about the royal family and about racism and colonialism because of someone who checked a bunch of boxes and is acceptable enough to support. Right. Someone who is white passing, who um, is thin, very pretty and famous and relatively rich right compared to the average person right so we're gravitating to this but the reality is that black women of all shapes sizes and colors and backgrounds have been talking about imperialism capitalism white supremacy patriarchy misogyny thought leaders in the uk right not to mention those in america and and others across the world but it's in this moment that we've decided to zoom in on this and that's also because we've been conditioned I think that's part of like western thinking to zoom in on the individual we don't examine systems right we just don't we don't examine how systems work we don't examine patterns of behavior we don't examine historical harm we don't and you know I'm glad that we're here I'm glad that we're taking the time to Um, to examine this but it's frustrating that it took this for us to get here because folks have been having this or been trying to have this conversation but going back to Megan so like the other thing that stuck out to me was how so Megan finally after being silenced decided to say I'm about to go and get on this global platform and, and tell my story and all of a sudden right the firm as she calls it proactively put out a smear piece on her, essentially calling her a bully that she bullied staff. And so the the next thing um, that again, like this points to me is the fact that respectability is a card that whiteness plays to shame and silence black voices. Right. So I'm saying respectability is a card that whiteness plays to shame and silence black voices. So, you know, you notice like in moments like these and it happens a lot on the Internet, too, but it happens in real life, it happens in like real person to person conversations. Is that any time black people, especially black women, 
have the audacity to speak the truth, the first thing that they get critiqued on is the way they say the truth. Right. Like, you know, you, you owe it to me to say it in a way that is palatable and acceptable to me. I need to be able to receive this in a way that doesn't hurt my feelings or make me uncomfortable. And if you violate those rules, then your point is invalid. And so as soon as I saw that they were going to drop that little piece talking about she's a bully, I said, okay, they lost. Like they let me know that they lost, right? Then we're not even, now we're not talking again. We're not talking about the system. We're not talking about the substance of her complaints. We're not talking about her concerns. We're not talking about anything that she actually is bringing to the table. We're now trying to challenge her character. We're trying to challenge her behavior. And it's something that Americans do too. Like happens all the time with black and brown voices. Uh, Again, particularly black women. We look to challenge their, uh, the manner which they say and not accept the facts that they're presenting. And so then the other, the other thing that stuck out to me was interesting is um, that identity shapes perspective and reality. So identity shapes perspective and reality. Like Meghan Markle, you know, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like I didn't even know that Meghan Markle was biracial. I thought Meghan Markle was white. And I know that's a popular take like amongst black folks because it's the truth. <laughs> like a lot of black folks did not know that Meghan Markle was black. You know, like her mother is super is black, obviously black. And her dad is white. But we had no idea. And like on suits, she doesn't present as a black woman. She presents as a white woman. And so it was interesting, right? Like we can eventually talk about her naivete as it pertains to her willingness to trust and just kind of like go with this, what, 1200 year old institution that has been responsible for the brutalization and murder of millions of people. And I do believe a reason for that naivete is because Meghan Markle does not move and exist in the world as a black woman. Meghan Markle moves and exists as a world in the world as a white passing woman, right? Like she talked more recently and recently about being a woman of color, but what language or copy have you seen from her that talks about her blackness? You know, I would posit that this entire traumatic, disgusting situation forced her to face her blackness in a way that she maybe not has not had to face. Right. And it's important to keep in mind, like the way that we navigate and move in this world directly impacts the way that we see the world and to be empathetic to that, because I saw some commentary from all types of folks, but this idea that she should have known better. It's like, well, should she have known better? Like, I don't, I can't speak to that. Right. Because I'm not a white passing person. Right. I'm not. So I don't, you know, and and transparently, most of my friends are not white. Like I don't I don't exist as a white person. I don't move in those circles. I can say that I'm not shocked that this institution is racist. But I can say um, that, you know, we have to honor and respect where people are or at least empathize enough 
to respect where people are, even if we don't love where people are at, especially if they're facing oppression. And so it's just interesting, though, like because Meghan Markle is not again, she's not a dark skinned black woman. She's a white passing black woman. She's a white passing biracial woman. And in a lot of circles, because of the way the white supremacy is set up, Meghan Markle would be higher on the pyramid. But when she's in a hyper, hyper white space, she's back on the bottom again. People are, you know, acting like she might as well be Grace Jones. Right? It's just interesting how white supremacy works. It's depressing. But it, it speaks to my last point, which is that all black voices matter. All black voices matter. So, you know, I was excited and I'm thankful that Meghan Markle is stepping more, it seems, into her blackness and that um, that she's getting the support that she needs. Like, like I, that's beautiful. That's incredible. And it's important that we honor and we listen to black women. Right. That we listen to women, period. But we certainly listen to black women. And if you know anything about living, living corporate, we center and we prioritize black women here. And so shout out to Meghan Markle. Um, and then also, though, like shout out to the dozens, hundreds, thousands of black women in the UK who have been putting in that work. You know, what I'm saying I'm not going to say the person's name, the show that I was watching, but I will say that I saw Dr. Shola Mos Shogbamimu. Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. She read the mess out of this dude. I'm not going to say his name. Y'all just look it up. Just just type it in. She got Ooh, she she caught a body. And it's important, though, that we honor those voices. But see, we're not going to honor those voices like we honor Meghan Markle because Dr. Shola most shocked by Mimu. She's not in the same proximity to whiteness that Meghan Markle is. She doesn't have the shape that we fetishize or that we that we believe that women should have. She's not the same age as Meghan Markle, right? Like she doesn't she doesn't have the same uh, demeanor. She's not as quiet as Meghan Markle, right? Her hair isn't the same as like literally because she is a darker skinned black woman. We're not going to honor her and venerate her as we should. But all black voices matter. And it should not be that when a celebrity who has a closer approximation to whiteness and frankly is like the safest black woman in this moment to support and defend goes through something traumatic that we pause and we listen because if you think that Meghan Markle is going through challenges and having pains and issues imagine what black women who aren't rich who aren't famous who aren't white passing who aren't thin are going through every single day some of y'all are aspirational allies ask yourself what your black female colleagues are going through today there are some people questioning for no reason like they have no facts they have no evidence they're just i don't really believe her you don't believe her you definitely don't believe your black colleagues for sure listen to black women honor black women respect black women now look i say all this to say i'm really excited about today's guest I've been wanting to talk to this person for a while and I've been following their platform for, again, just just a while. Um, Michael Berhane, um, he's an author of People of Color in Tech, 
He's a co-founder of this incredible platform. Um, they have dope conversations with like just incredible leaders. You know, I find his work incredible. He was actually one of the inspirations for living corporate, right? Um, the techish pod shout, shout out to them. Um, but he just has this whole network and it's based in the UK. And so this was like, we recorded this like last year and we were talking about blackness across the pond and what people kind of can get wrong and just, just what, you know, uh, the assumptions people make about blackness internationally and what does it really mean to be black in the UK? And, um, you know, I'm excited and thankful for this conversation that we're about to have. And before y'all check in with that, we're going to tap in with Tristan. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. I have one question for you. Are you treating your job like a marriage? So last week, I got an email from L. Michelle Smith, an amazing author, speaker, and executive coach. In the email, she poses that very question. She also gives some points on what treating your job like a marriage looks like, including discussing looking into other positions like it's creeping and that not looking around is an act of righteousness. You only share company-related posts on LinkedIn as if sharing other content is unfaithful. You won't entertain recruiters in interview like it's an extramarital affair. You treat your current position as if you have pledged until death does you part. Does any of that sound familiar? Often, we build unhealthy one-sided relationships with our jobs that only benefits our employer. This mindset allows your employer to reap all the benefits of your loyalty with little to no requirement of reciprocating it. We have to remember that our relationship with our employer is purely transactional. You provide services for which they provide pay and benefits. That type of relationship shouldn't bar you from looking at positions with other companies or feeling like you're cheating on your employer if you go on interviews. When we begin to value the company's brand over our own, we tend to lose sight of the value we bring to the company. This leads to our hard work often going unrecognized and unrewarded, except for those industry standard 2% raises. You owe it to yourself, your career, and your pay range to make external connections and court external opportunities to understand what your value is on the market. By doing this, even if you don't take the external positions, you develop a pipeline of potential opportunities in case you ever need to jump ship. You also will have a better understanding of what type of positions you qualify for and how much you really deserve to be paid. At the end of the day, companies will always do what's in their best interest and we should follow suit. People have left actual marriages for less. If you'd like to check out more from L. Michelle Smith, you can check her out at www.lmichellesmith.com for more information. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Break Room. Have you ever felt burnt out, depressed, or otherwise exhausted by being one of the onlys at work? You know what I'm talking about. Hosted by black psychologists, psychiatrists, and PhDs, The Break Room is a live weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that discusses mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. Name another weekly show explicitly focused on mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. I'll wait. This is why you got to check out The Break Room, airing every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on livingcorporate.tv. 
Michael, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. No, no doubt. So, like, look, let's talk a little bit about about your platform, People of Color. Like, how did it get started? Um, mm. and, and what kind of even inspired the name? Yeah, so we've been around for about five years. Um, and it started off just as a blog. Um, I started it with a homie of mine who's based out in New York um, called Ruth. And um, it just snowballed from there, really. We started off doing, like, a weekly interview, talking to, like, black and brown people in tech. Um, um, at the time, the media landscape wasn't what it was now. There wasn't that much. Um, the diversity and tech conversation was ongoing, but in terms of media, it wasn't as a focus. So we just found a pocket and wrote it. And basically, um, you know, people really liked the stories that we were telling and people were really engaged. And from there, we started a newsletter. And then from there, uh, we started a recruitment platform. And then from there, we started a podcast. So I like, went on from that kind of initial idea of just kind of telling the stories of people of color in tech. Yeah, you know, I was I was saying before before we got before we recorded off mic, I was sharing that you know when Living Corporate started about about two and a half years ago now, we mm. um, we were looking at different spaces that were even like you know adjacent to what we wanted to do, which is center and amplify Black and Brown people at work, and mm. uh, people in color in tech was like at the top of that list in terms of those platforms. So yeah, definitely shout out to y'all. I love what y'all doing. Um, I know we also talked about again. The fact that you're based in uh, you're based in uh, London. Yeah, man. Like, talk to me a little bit about like the black experience across the pond. Yeah, it's a good question, really. Um, it's hard to summarize. I mean, the thing about the black experience in London, where it might contrast with the black experience in the States, is that most of us came to the UK uh, or our parents came to the UK from various different African countries or Caribbean countries. So you had the initial migration of people from the Caribbean, which was a British colony back in the 60s, um, 40s actually, sorry, after the Second World War to help rebuild the country. Then you had a lot more like African migrants that came in the 80s, Nigerians, Ghanaians, um, Somalis, and I'm Eritrean. Um, and we kind of built like a hodgepodge culture in the last kind of 30, 40, 50 years. Um, maybe similar to what you might have in Toronto, where there's a heavy, you know, Caribbean and Jamaican influence, but there's also kind of an African influence as well. So. Right. Yeah, it's a very complicated thing. You probably could need to like scholar on like the Black British experience. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, like we built kind of our own thing here, our own kind of culture, of our own slang and our own kind of music scene. Um, but definitely like we do look up to the US in that sense where, you know, um, like I don't think people would want to acknowledge it, but it's kind of like big bro kind of thing. And we look at what you guys do. I don't <laughs> think it's been a more of a it's not a two-way conversation. It's more of a one-way convo where we're looking at what you're doing, but you guys don't necessarily look at what we're doing. Mm, um, and, mm. and like, you know, so much more of a smaller, um, you know, impact right now. Um, right. But hopefully in the future, we've got things like Top Boy on Netflix that Drake produced. And I think that was like the first time people realized like there's kind of a kind of black British subculture that it does exist. Um, yeah. I would definitely recommend like reach out to like scholars in that, in this kind of sphere, this kind of, sphere of knowledge because it's a very complicated topic yeah it's interesting right I'm, and i and i think it's a really good idea i think we, I, we will um it's interesting as i ask because you know you, you constantly see social media is um is toxic in a lot of different ways but, and, and also it can you know it brings people together it can also kind of help inform at least at a high level can get discussions and dialogue started um and so it's interesting because Every now and then you'll see like things pop up and it'll be like essentially like diaspora wars, right? Where, right. you know, people from the States are arguing or trying to compare 
their 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 struggles with with other struggles in other colonized parts of the world. So mm. um, I just find I just find it very intriguing because, like I said, we don't have a lot of um, we've had one other person from across the pond who's been on the on Living Corporate uh, flagship podcast. And so so looking you forward though, when it comes to just like like tech, right? So like we're in this era right now. Um, during COVID-19 because we're recording this in October of 2020 um, mm. you know like considering like the space that you inhabit like what are you seeing in the market as it tends to you know career opportunities and things for black and brown people in tech in this season um, I guess it depends what you mean by career opportunities I mean I've, I've been um, I've been a founder for about five six years and like I'm excited by the fact that like you know it's never been easy to kind of go out there and do your own thing as well. Yeah. Um, build your own kind of platform really. And you don't necessarily even need to know how to code anymore. Right. I think that was the biggest impediment years ago. Like the amount of people that would be like, yo, I need a technical, but like I can't get started. I need somebody to help build me this platform. Um, and you know, they couldn't get beyond that point because it's hard to find, you know, technical co-founders that are willing to work on your idea and to hire one is, is really expensive. But now you've got like proliferation of like these no-code tools, which are based to kind of build an early version of your product without an outside developer. Um, and then you can you can start with a newsletter, you can start with a, you know an IG page, and then you know build a community, and then build products on top of that kind of thing. Right. So in terms of career opportunities, I just feel like it's never been. Um, it's still different to kind of build you know a profitable online business essentially, um, and to and to do it without venture capital, and to do it without you know. Uh, a lot of capital to kind of hire and um you know work with a developer so those opportunities there like i'm, I'm really excited by and I, and I know a few people that are kind of delving into that world and you know it's not easy like entrepreneurship is hard full stop i'm not going to paint it like it's all sunshine and rainbows it's not um but i think that kind of democ- democratization you know, i messed up the word that kind of democratization of tools um excites me you know and to your point i think the other you know on live for living corporate like we have a website we have all this different stuff going on like a variety of different digital media products mm. and to your point we don't have a technical right like i'm the founder right. and the ceo um and like you know started off with a, a bunch so a co-founder because started off with a bunch of folks folks fell off for various reasons and like now when i want to build something like you can also just outsource things like very cheaply right like you can yeah. Like there are plenty of like if you use Fiverr or and this mm-hmm. is not an ad, but like if you could use, you know, Upwork, whatever, and you can yeah. find people who can build whatever it is you're looking for. Because like nine times out of ten, whatever you're trying to build, it's not like it's never been done before. Yeah. And so most people can like you can work with somebody and get it at a pretty affordable price and a good quality if you, you know, if you take the time and you you source it effectively. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear that. I think I'm I think I'm curious also about like. What does it look like for you to continue to work with brands um, through um, through your platform and like helping to be like a uh, to post jobs and like to connect people with opportunities? What is what does that look like? How did that get started? And then what has been like how can you now during uh, this season? Yeah, I mean, um, it's not an easy thing per se, because obviously you're building a community and you want to provide value to that community. And at the same time, you want to be able to also um, monetize what you're doing so you can, you know, have a living. And obviously recruitment is the kind of obvious path forward when you build a community of, you know, black and brown people in tech, for example. Um, and we, companies reached out to us 
kind of early from the beginning wanted to be featured on our newsletter um and you know, uh, we later on built a full platform for it um and it, it it was difficult because obviously you want to find you know the right price point you want to find a way that makes the company sustainable and you want to find a way that brings value to your community you don't want to kind of show them rubbish or companies that are not great or you know it's it's a very it's a juggling act essentially um and then obviously during the lockdown you know the first thing that gets cut during a recession or any kind of economic downturn is um hiring like people get scared and they don't want to hire right um so we, we were hit quite quite badly at that point um, we had diversified so we have like you know our podcast where we have sponsors we have sponsors for our newsletters we have other kind of um ways of monetizing we have like a you know, a Patreon where people can support us also. So that helped us go through the period. Um, and then obviously what happened with, um, you know, the brutal murder of George Floyd really kind of uh, created them. I, I, I don't want to say a moment because I don't want to act like it's past. It hasn't, but it really awoke something within a lot of people in corporate. Right. We got a lot inbound um, at that point. Um, you know, you know, the, whether we want to analyze that and say, is it genuine? Is it really going to lead to real change? I don't know. But in terms of, um, from us as a company, it did lead to a lot more interest and a lot yeah. more companies saying, actually, this is no longer nice to have. This is no longer, you know, um, you know, diversity is no longer just an afterthought. It's actually, we've got to prioritize this because, you know, our companies need to reflect the society in which we serve. Um, and yeah, and that's what's happened. So uh, a good situation, obviously, turmoil and then later on um things have kind of uh gone back to normal and, and exceeded actually where we were before the lockdown um so it's been a roller coaster nobody said this entrepreneurship you know stuff is easy <laughs> man you know it's interesting too um then we can i can relate to um to that like the interest in the engagement since the murder of george floyd um you know our podcast and website traffic just went way up right yep um and so you know i think I think to to your point, like, you know, you said something about a moment, like what is your gut feeling about, about what's happening today? Like, do you think that what we're looking at is a, a moment or do you think it's a movement? That's a very good question. I think time will tell. I think it's so difficult in the, sorry to use the word again, but it's very difficult in the present moment to know what, you know, what part of history you're in. Right. And I think in 10 years time, we'll figure out what does my gut say? Ah, it's difficult. I think, I've seen things that are really promising. Like one thing I really liked actually was I think Netflix, you know, decided to put capital in like black owned banks basically in order to kind of close the wealth gap. And I think if there was, I read a study where if, you know, the, the top companies in the S&P 500 will put 1% of their capital into kind of black owned banks, you could, you know, conceivably close the wealth gap or at least make in de- make a massive dent into it. Um, and those types of things are, are interesting to me. Um, but whether this, you know, is just all and kind of just showmanship from corporate America. I honestly haven't got the answer. I think he would, I think anybody who claims that they do is, is, um, you know, is fooling, fooling themselves and you, you know what I mean? Like it's hard to know. Um, uh, I'm, I'm happy though, that people that are kind of people like yourself, people like who are running other kind of similar initiatives, people who, um, you know, are running black owned businesses are now getting support, like or getting the love that they deserve in the UK. Um, I don't think it's made its way across the across the pond, but we initially started called Black Pound Day. So obviously you guys have the dollar and we have the pound here. So yeah. essentially on that day, everybody has to spend on a black owned business basically. And it got a lot of traction um, and it was started by a rapper out here called 
called Swiss. Um, and like, I think every two to three months now, there's a specific day where one goes and spends at black owned businesses basically, and then puts, puts up their receipts on Twitter and shows what they bought and whatnot. Um, and that's you know, that's been supported by, <laughs> yeah, that's been supported by, you know, a lot of people and not just the black community outside of that as well. Like, um, so yeah, that type of really, that kind of grassroots stuff is what I'm really kind of vibing with and re- what I really kind of appreciate. Whether the top-down corporate corporations are actually really about that change, I don't know. Um, I think it's up to us to kind of keep putting pressure on them and then also up to us to kind of build our own grassroots movements like Black Pound Day, like, doing, um, like what hopefully we're doing um, and build from there. Man, I'm right there with you. Um, so so look, let's, th- let's do this, man. It's been dope having you on here. I want to make sure that I give um, the people space, um, to make sure that they know where they can find you, where they can look you up. Yeah. Um, so man, plug your stuff, please. Yeah, please. Um, so yeah, they can either go to people of sign up to our newsletter, the pocket weekly. Um, and we do like a, we've got like over like 15,000 subscribers and we've got like a weekly roundup of news related to POC and tech. And then we've got a brand new season of our podcast techish coming back. Season four is coming back soon, like in the next few weeks. Um, and that's a weekly, pop culture and tech show so everything from cardi b to c plus plus um so yeah tune in some fun um so yeah check us out there man this has been dope michael man i gotta thank you again um, i'm really excited i'm thankful that we were able to do this i've been a fan of, of you and uh, people of color in tech and techish uh for some years now so i'm just really honored that you're able to come on y'all you know that every single week we have in conversations right every <laughs> single week we're having conversations Real talk in the corporate world. We're centering and amplifying black and brown voices at work. Uh, I'm not going to say all of where we're at. You know what I'm saying? You just type in living corporate. Okay. SEO is popping. You know, just type us in. We're going to pop up. Um, until next time, this has been Zach. You've been listening to Michael Berhain, CEO, founder, uh, podcaster, speaker, entrepreneur, innovator. Peace. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out The Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Yo, we're back. I want to shout out Michael again. I want to shout out the entire POCIT platform, People of Color and Tech. I want to shout out the Techish podcast. And, you know, I also want to make sure I shout out the co-founder of Techish out of BC. And just thank y'all. Thank you so much for checking out Living Corporate. Make sure you take the time. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Just share Living Corporate with a friend. Right. Till next time. This has been Zach. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.